Good morning, Mike Broomhead. Good morning, Jamie West. How are you? I'm doing good. That's good. You? I'm doing much better now that Jim's out of the studio. I. You know what? <laughs> he just hammered you. Yeah, what was that all about? I have no idea. It's like the one of the mean girls. He wasn't wrong, but it still doesn't matter. Thanks, Jamie. If you missed it, the insults were flying in the studio this morning, and most of you probably think Jim Sharp's a pretty nice guy. Quite the contrary. He is just a horrible human being. Um, thanks for being here. We have got a lot to get to today. I'm anxious for you to hear the interview at 835. We are going to play the interview uh, in its entirety that I did with the new police chief in Phoenix, um, Chief Mike Sullivan. A uh, good guy to seem to really know his stuff. There are a lot of people that I've talked to inside of Phoenix PD that have great faith that this is going to keep Phoenix PD on the right path. Um, you know, there's a DOG, DOJ investigation that's going on. He was brought in largely because he has experience in dealing with these issues, but he also has to lead an agency that's growing and a city that's growing by leaps and bounds, that's uh, suffering shortages and other things. So we covered the gamut in an interview. We'll do that at 835, so about 20 minutes from right now. A railroad strike was averted. We're going to let you hear from a couple of people involved in this uh, because this was an, this was going to be a huge deal. There are a few things that are happening around the world. We talk about supply chain issues. You go back months and months and months and months. Uh, COVID-19 shut down the largest port on the planet in China. And about six weeks later, we had this huge supply chain issue. And it was a very difficult thing that we still aren't all the way through. So if you want to talk about in-country supply chain issues, had this rail strike happened, it would have devastated almost every industry in the country when goods are transported across the country because they are by train. Amtrak had already stepped in and said they are going to stop cross-country travel for passengers. They've they've stopped that now, but it was in place because of that's how close it was to this strike happening. It would have been devastating to the American economy if this deal had not gotten done. So I want you to hear um, I want you to hear Bernie Sanders because Bernie Sanders actually tried to stop the deal from happening. He tried to, they were going to do a, a, like a, a bill in the Senate. They were trying to get this passed really quickly through the Senate. And Bernie Sanders tried to stand in the way of this happening. So I want you to hear a little bit from Senator Sanders. The rail industry has seen huge profits in recent years. And last year alone made a record-breaking $20 billion in profit. And let me also mention that the CEOs of many of these rail companies are enjoying huge compensation packages. So uh, Bernie Sanders playing the labor card once again. Now, I am someone that believes in fair wages. I, I like how the market dictates what fair wages are. But this is what I find fascinating from a guy. If you look at it in the right perspective, this is a man who believes his word, not mine, that the government is entitled to huge profits by taking more of your tax dollars. He believes that you should be able to confiscate a huge part of the wealth of especially what they consider to be rich people. It's funny, before Bernie Sanders became a millionaire. He used to talk about millionaires and billionaires. Now he's a millionaire. Now he only talks about billionaires. Um, but what they talk about, people that believe in this political ideology, they don't want the people that earn the money to have the money. They, they call them evil because they want that money. You're greedy. Well, you are taking the profits of someone else. You are confiscating someone else's money. Who's the really greedy one? So Bernie Sanders has absolutely no problem watching the United States Treasury month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year, taking in record revenue. That 
is what the government's supposed to do in a mind like Bernie Sanders. But when a private company does it, it's horrible. So he actually was going to watch the American economy. And you know who it hits first? It hits the bottom of the economic ladder. That's who it hits first. He was going to watch our economy come to a standstill in many sectors because of this rail strike. So then... He goes on about how much railroad employees made. Last year, the CEO of CSX made over $20 million in total compensation, while the CEOs of Union Pacific and Norfolk Southern made over $14 million each in total compensation. In other words, what's happening in the rail industry is what's happening all over this country. <laughs> yeah. People start businesses, people run businesses, and the ones that are in charge make big money. So I'll give you an example using people that Bernie Sanders admires and people that agree with Bernie Sanders. When you go to see the movie Top Gun, I've seen it a couple of times. Uh, I actually bought it. It came out on uh, streaming services. I bought the Top Gun movie, the new one. Um, How much do you think, and I don't know the number, how much do you think Tom Cruise got paid? How much do you think some of the bit part actors and extras got paid? It's a Tom Cruise movie. People are there to see Tom Cruise. And so you you look at uh, entertainers, whether they're stand-up comedians, they're actors or actresses, um, they're singers. It doesn't matter. They earn in the minds of some obscene amounts of money. If, if you look, one of the one of the biggest um, liberal advocates in the country, and I'm not I'm not con- I'm not using liberal as an insult. I'm using it as an identifier. One of the most outspoken, iconic liberal entertainers in the world, or I would say in America, is Bruce Springsteen. And he's got a backlash with his with his audience because of the thousands of dollars he was charging for concert tickets. So you see, when they're collecting huge profits, no one's complaining. No one complains about what Tom Cruise makes. No one complains what Tom Hanks makes. No one complains what uh, any of these people makes. Steven Spielberg to direct a movie, one of the most iconic, prolific directors on the planet. What does he earn per film? And you don't hear people complaining about their obscene salaries. When you're making $20 million for a movie, no one's complaining that that's too much money. But this ideology that somehow if you're the CEO of a company, and you know, I know a lot of very successful people that I admire a great deal. Because when you hear their stories of how they started, and they started with nothing. And this is what I, I hope as we get older, we should be able to figure this out and see it. Um, I was a pretty loyal employee when I was in the trades. I was pretty loyal. I was the first one to show up. I was the last one to leave. I worked overtime if I was asked. I tried to do my job because I wanted job security. I wanted my bosses to know I, they could rely on me. If they needed something, I would do it. Kept me employed. Got me my raises. I was happy that way. But I've worked for people that no matter how early I showed up, the bosses were already there. On the weekends. You know, how many how many times you see a boss now that's driving a brand new SUV or a brand new sports car or a a Mercedes or something and uh, people are looking down the end of their nose at this person. Where were you when they were driving a 10 or a 15 year old vehicle, brown bagging it to work, working early in the morning, staying late at night, coming in on the weekends, cleaning the office themselves instead of hiring someone when they had an office? Most of the time of these businesses start in your home. 
Where were you during the lean years? Where were you when they thought they were going to lose their homes? And, and now you see them successful and everybody wants to punish success. I, I want to live in a world where it was when we were kids, when I was a kid when it comes to this. I remember being told and pointing someone out who was successful financially and somebody saying, if they can do it, you can do it. You work hard, stick to these principles, you can be successful. You can be anything you want in this country. But as soon as you cross that threshold of success, all of a sudden you become public enemy number one. And uh, it, it is um, it is interesting to me that Bernie Sanders is one of the leading candidates if Joe Biden doesn't run in 24, Bernie Sanders is one of the leaders for the Democrats to be on the ticket. And so this is about ideology for me. This is uh, about all of that. What could have happened with this rail strike would have, uh, I was going to say derailed, and that would have been too much of a pun, it would have derailed the economy. We would have seen huge parts of our economy destroyed. Why do we why do we have people in our country that want to punish success? But if you look at it, they are no different than the CEOs of major corporations. They want to get as much money into their bank account as they possibly can. It just happens to be the United States Treasury. They are always looking for new revenue streams. They're always looking for new reasons and new ways to get more money out of the American public's pocket. And they always pit the rich against the poor. I've talked in the past about the Communist Manifesto. I'm not calling them communists, but if you ever read the Communist Manifesto, it's like a playbook. It really is. And we'll talk more about that later on this morning when we talk about the totality of the economy. But it, you read these books and you say this is exactly the playbook. And I don't think they're reading the books and following the playbook. I think their ideology is this in the same place about what the government is entitled to do to the private citizen. But you think about greed. Greed is saying you want more than you need. Well, what would you say our federal government's doing right now? Just an ideological shift. In a moment, we play the interview with the new police chief in the city of Phoenix. His name is Michael Sullivan. You're going to hear my interview with him coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. I just want to give everybody a chance to scream it out before we jump into this. There it is. <laughs> All right. Thanks for being here this morning. Yesterday afternoon, I sat down with the new, the interim Phoenix Police Chief, Michael Sullivan, and we covered a gamut of things that are pertaining to Phoenix PD moving forward, starting with the DOJ. So I wanted you to hear the interview. Here it is in its entirety. Let's start with the DOJ investigation. You were brought in to lead the team on that. Can you tell the people of, of Phoenix how you plan to do that and the confidence they should have in you for that? No, I, I think that's the reason city, city leadership really reached out. And, and uh, you know, I'm in this role today is because of my experience uh, working with the Department of Justice and consent decrees. And, and I can tell you my experience isn't just in the implementation and managing the, the, the reform effort. It, the first two years that I was in Baltimore, that uh, I actually ran operations. Uh, so while a department under decree, being able to work in that environment uh, and then implementing the reforms, which is what I did 
the last year, year and a half that I was there. You know, I think positions me very well. Uh, you know, I look forward to working with the team to uh, making sure that we're, regardless of what the Department of Justice finds in their investigation, that we're in a good position to continue the reforms. Uh, and, you know, one thing that I, I've said over and over, uh, reform and uh, crime fighting are not mutually exclusive. You know, they, they work together, and they have to work together, um, because if we do, uh, do, do it right, we're going to instill confidence in the community and, and allow uh, the, the men and women of this police department to do incredible work and incredibly hard work, uh, the ability to, to do it the way they should with the right training and the right equipment. Well, Phoenix has been short-staffed for a very long time, and I know that that's improving. But along with that change, now we have the change in leadership. What's been your message to the officers and to the command staff here at Phoenix PD? You know, it, it, it's day three, so, you know, I've, I've worked uh, you know, just getting to know folks. Uh, and my message is, you know, we're, we're going to continue to work every single day to get better. You know, and my message is about, uh, you know, I believe in self-assessing and then uh, correcting what we need to correct and then getting better every single day is is truly what we need to work work towards uh, and uh, you know build the teams that we need to be able to do to do that do you believe there's a need for a restoration of trust with the community in the police department and if so how are you going to address that what I would say is we need to improve the trust that we have in the community I think uh, there's parts of this community that, that have implicit trust in the police department and then there's communities that, that we have a lot of work to do uh, to improve uh, the trust that they have within uh, not just this department but law enforcement altogether. So uh, it's something that I think departments always have to work on uh, because we cannot we can only be as good as the community uh, and the information that they're able to provide for us uh, if we really want to provide public safety. We have seen an uptick in violent crime across Arizona and the rest of the country. Chief Williams was addressing that with the staff here with going after specifically gun crime. So 700 guns taken off the street in July, over 500 arrests. Are you going to continue that? Do you think that's a valuable program and a way to address that issue? I think that's one way to be able to address it. I think we need to uh, address the most uh, geographies that cause us the most problem, the, the, the most violent places, and then the most violent people and, and violent repeat offenders. A uh, focus on violent repeat offenders and uh, those geographies, I think, are critical uh, that, that we must do, and you know, we must engage the community to, to be able to help uh, get the information we can to, to get in front of, of uh, these crimes before they occur uh, is, is going to be a focus. And, you know, I plan to work with the team to, to put together that plan, uh, like what Chief Williams had, uh, to continue to work very hard uh, to, to address violent crime. Um, you've come from a place where there are a lot more strict gun laws than there are here in Arizona. Does that change the way policing happens, or does it stay the same and just enforce them to existing laws? It, it really doesn't change because the, the department I was previously had laws similar to what we have here in Arizona. So uh, I don't see there be a change you know, in strategies. It is still focused on uh, those folks that decide to carry guns illegally and use them illegally uh, and, and cause harm to communities uh, that we're going to be focused on. 
Uh, we know that Phoenix is doing a good job of recruiting new officers into the profession. But one of the things they're losing is a lot of officers are retiring. What is uh, what is the city going to do to try to retain those officers, to train the young officers to be standalone and the officer quality that you want? No, I, you know, I think there's been some work with a recent contract. Uh, you know, I think that that is, is critically important, but we really do. We have to work. Uh, it's not just about uh, it's not just about getting people in the front door. It's about you know managing what that back door looks at. You know, some uh, officers they breach retirement age and they they've had a good career and they are going to retire. But we certainly need to re- uh, retain the experience uh, to be able to train those young officers to, to, to get them there. You know, I, I think that's part of it. I, what I will tell you is, you know, pay is great. It gets people in the doors, but keeps people is working conditions, uh, uh, the right cars, the right facilities, and, you know, that are maintained the, the way they should be, and, and investments in those areas. And I'm going to work very hard to continue those investments that have already been made by uh, city leadership and uh, continue to do that because I, I really do. I think that, uh, you know, that's those working conditions are what, what keep people around, make people feel valued, and, uh, you know, uh, really manage that, that uh, back end that we, we just discussed. Phoenix Union High School District did away with um, a school resource officers about a year and a half ago, and they went to more of a security guard approach, and they had a critical incident at Central High School just the other day. Um, do you think there's a need for school resource officers? Are you working with the school system so that parents are, feel that their children are safe in the schools? What needs to happen? You know, I'm still getting up to speed on that issue. Uh, you know, I think school systems need to have a security plan. Uh, we need to be able to be part of that plan because that's public safety in within the city. Uh, you know, I'll work with the uh, uh, with the schools uh, to be able to determine what the best way to do that is. Uh, but absolutely, we need to be involved and what that involvement looks like. Uh, you know, we'll work with the, the school system to figure that out. The last question is about the redrawing of the lines for the precincts. Um, what is that going to look like? Do you have an idea of what that's going to look like? How will that change for the officers here? And is it going to improve policing in the city by doing it? What I can tell you is I haven't looked at that yet, but what I will tell you just in my experience in, in redrawing lines in the past, you know, you really look to balance workload. Uh, you really look to make sure that communities aren't broken apart uh, when you do that. You know, I think we're a little bit away from that because we need to establish a new records management system. Uh, but but really that, that focus on equaling workload and then uh, main, maintaining communities uh, so they don't get broken apart uh, when you do that yet and, and really engaging the community in that process is, is critical chief I, I thank you for your time and, and welcome to phoenix no it's a pleasure meeting you i look forward to talking with you in the future that is interim phoenix police chief michael sullivan we'll be talking with the chief as time goes on get an update on the doj investigation and all that's going to be happening in short order coming up in a moment it's gatos and the bq poll question of the day The Gatos Big Q Poll Question, brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Hey, good morning, Gatos. Oh, the weekend's almost here. We got two more sleeps. I know. I can't oh. wait. Got some uh, Thursday night football tonight. I've decided that Tuesday and Wednesdays are just brutal. There's no football. I don't know, I know. what to do with myself. I know. I know. Let me ask you a weird question. Yeah. Um, do you? Because you're a little bit younger than me. I'm an yeah. '80s kid for sure, right in the middle. Turned 18 in 1985. I'm an '80s kid. Yeah. Are you an '80s kid or are you a '90s kid? I think '80s. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I figure '90s high school, yeah. college. I don't know. I've given a kid. A, a, why? 
I did the most 80s thing I've done in quite a while in an impulse purchase the other day. Uh, what did you And I can't you wait to show you guys. I bought two it? items. Two items. Yeah. I bought a pair of gargoyle sunglasses. <laughs> okay. And a members only jacket. Oh, for crying out loud. You did not buy <laughs> I did. a members only I bought Why a did black, you buy a member a black members only jacket. Oh gosh. I'm going to I'm going to when it cools off, I'm going to oh. I'm going to model them both here in the studio. Oh. Oh, I can't believe you're still single. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got to get to the question. What do you got? All right, Robert Sarver, banned from the NBA one year, fined $10 million after allegations of racism and misogyny. So, I ask, what do you think of the punishment? A, it's fair. B, it's too lenient. And C, it's too harsh. So, you got three options. Mm-hmm. You go and you... You vote and you see what happens. Uh, I saw CT3 come out very tough. Yeah. Sarver yesterday. I didn't know that uh, the Suns players would come out and do that, but that's what leaders do. They come out and they talk yeah. about what happens with their team. So. They waited They waited until the final results. It was great. Great question, and I'm looking forward to our final day tomorrow and then the weekend. Members only. <laughs> see ya. Thanks, Gatos. The Big Q poll question today brought to you by your Valley Toyota dealers. Coming up after 9 o'clock, we are going to talk about immigration. A new wrinkle. That's coming up.